you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosowski is Jason Weiner. Jason is best known as the Emmy Award-winning director and co-executive producer of Modern Family, having directed the pilot episode as well as 20 episodes of the amazingly popular show. He's a writer, an Emmy Award-winning producer and writer. He directed Robin Williams in Robin's last television series and directed Russell Brand in the remake of Arthur. Jason's an alum of IO Chicago, which is where I met him. We talked about the challenges of working with creative forces like Brand and Williams the battles of making a studio film, and how he figured out how to give Modern Family the realistic look while staying within budget. This is one strong episode, but what else would you expect? Enjoy. So, uh, we're just going to start. Just going to jump right in. Great. Um, one of the things that I was, as I was going through uh, your... Uh, looking at all the stuff that you've done you've done so much stuff <laughs> I guess I'm sort of a workaholic yeah yeah I, I love it I love it too yeah I love it too do you can so when you say you're a workaholic because I, I like that's yeah. such an interesting but you're you're passionate about it so you yeah. don't see it as work no that's right I mean I feel really lucky to get to do what I love to do right. so I just I want to do it all the time all the time yeah yeah I totally understand that yeah like the idea of I, I, I want everything that I wanted everything that I enjoy doing I want to do it all the time and I never I don't get tired of it right no and you know I, it's also just trying to do it better and better. What does better mean? Because I always have an, I always have this this concept of better. Like the idea of better, for me, when I'm thinking about, oh, I could do it better. There's an implication there that I didn't do it well the first time. Right. And that's not fair to what it is that I'm doing. Right. Because I did the best job that I could at that time. That's right. And so the word better always stands out to me. So whenever I hear somebody say better, I'm thinking, what does that mean, better? Because it's not really better. Well, there's two facets to it. One is constantly improving the way that you do your job, the way that you're able to see the whole, predict problems, come up with solutions, be creative, trying to get to a new level with the work itself. And then there's also the reaction to the work. Right. Right? Which is the other part of it. And what does that mean? What's the reaction to the work? Yeah, well, what I've found over the years is that there seems to be no correlation, none at all, between how fulfilling something is to work on and how well it's received. (laughs) That's true. In fact, if there is a correlation, it is generally the inverse. (laughs) So you're saying the more the more uh, the, the more, more enjoyable it is, the less reaction is going yeah, to be. Yeah, often that's been my experience. Uh-huh. The more the more creatively fulfilling, the better of an experience the thing is to make, the less it seems to be. Well, I don't know if it's well received or just in terms of like making a make an impact in the in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that were the most painful to give birth to somehow end up being the things that people pay attention to the most. Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, the idea of, of, of troubleshooting and problem solving and going, I'm going to fucking figure this thing out. Yes. And then figuring it out. Yes. And then that was really satisfying. That needs to be its own reward. It should be. 
I mean, yeah, it yeah. should be. It, yeah. it really should be. Because nobody's looking at what it is that you do and knowing all the strum and tong that you went through in order to get to that. Right. They're just looking at that final piece and hopefully they don't even think about you. Right. At yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of, for me, I remember thinking when I was, the, 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 when I was directing shows at Second City, I kept thinking, um, this is the most thankless job to be a director because all the jokes that you're the, right. pe- the laughs that people are, are the, the laughs that the actors are getting yeah. and the whole piece itself nobody sees your hand in it I don't think yeah. unless they know your style right and so when you're working on Modern Family it's more about the ensemble than it is your style is that is right. that true well, yes and no. I mean, I think that in the early going of Modern Family, because I directed the pilot, that wasn't so thankless. Uh-huh. I got lots of thanks for that. Right. You know what I mean? And lots yeah. of credit for that right. in terms of putting the cast together and establishing the visual style of right. the show. I think people who read the script realized what, in some ways, the script the script is absolutely brilliant, but it's also a blank canvas visually. If you look at any Modern Family script, there is zero stage direction or zero to indicate tone around the dialogue. Got it. So I think that people who knew what that script was gave me a lot of credit for the way that you know it came to life, mm-hmm. and I and I'll take it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> you got know it, what I mean? Got it. Yeah. So so but. But I do think that then, in general, episodic directing becomes a pretty thankless endeavor. Yeah. Yes. In terms of not seeing your hand in the same way that you you know you you were describing at Second City, where, where in some ways the goal is to disappear into the established style of the of the show. Oh, and those shows that do, particularly at Second City, stand out in a way. They've been they they usually stand out because they are, somebody does go. I want to shake the shit out of it. Well, you know, pinata full of bees. Clearly that. Yeah. Clearly pinata full of bees, yeah. and that lasted a while and there's yeah. still there's still evidence of that yeah, there, yeah sure um, which is I mean because that I I had left the show pro- the show prior was my last show and then they come in with that and I'm like what the fuck just happened yeah like yeah. that idea of what the fuck just happened mm-hmm. and the I go back to uh, so the idea of the blank canvas the stage being the, uh, uh, the the script being a blank canvas it's very interesting also because as a director you like a, a, a woman or a man sits down and writes the script and they put it up there like that and it's up to you to, to kind of get not to kind of get to get tone to get volume to mm. to really look at all this work that you're doing and to say this is the life I am breathing life into this mm-hmm. and that that's one of the satisfying things <clears throat> excuse me of, of being a director yeah. is to go I this script here it's just words Mm-hmm. And so now I'm breathing the life into those words. And so when I'm working with, <clears throat> when I'm working with actors improvising, wise, I I give them opportunities to do tone differently. Like that line that you just said, that you just improvised. I want you to say it with this tone, or say it slower, and uh, or to give it really a lot of thought. And suddenly that shit just comes to life and gives you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, I that that kind of stuff. That's the satisfying thing for me. Sure. It's the little victories that I really enjoy. Yeah. In 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 that directing. Did you always see yourself as a director? No, in fact, <clears throat> you know, it was a very strange thing. My father and even my grandmother, lots of people in my family, 
predicted I would become a director like from the time I was a very small kid and I had no particular interest in it. I wasn't I wasn't like Spielberg making movies of my toy trains. Uh, I was into acting, a, a creative writing and photography. And those three interests w- took me all the way through Say college. Say those three again. Uh, acting, writing and photography. Got it. Look at that. So I, I, unaware that I would want to put those three things together Isn't as a director, awesome. That's really and awesome. and even even through through college, I went to Northwestern and I was a, a performance studies major, which is the snobby version of a theater major. Combines a lot of uh, literature and adapting literature for performance, that kind of thing. And I double majored in art, specifically photography. But again, I just didn't put it all together until I was twenty nine. Man, yeah, that's just so fantastic because it also has to do with like you, you not um, pigeonholing yourself into I'm a photographer. That's all that I'm doing, or I'm an actor. That's all that mm-hmm. I'm doing. You go that uh, that that blisses me out. I really dig that other thing there yeah. too, and that other thing there too. And when we pursue those things, they can't help but create this person mm-hmm. and this art and mm-hmm. and. It it comes, it comes naturally if you let it. Right. Yeah. It's funny <clears throat> that I think it's something that's changing about the world in sort of a bad way, especially as a, in terms of higher education. I think as as college has gotten more and more expensive, parents are like, "What are you teaching my child that they can use as a job in the real world?" They want they want that payoff and. As a result, like, you know, I get asked for advice and Northwestern comes to me with things here and then and they said, will you talk to this? We have this new program that's some, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but something in the vein of um, d- directing for single camera comedic sitcoms. And I was like, what? And they're like, can we bring these the students to your office? And I was like, sure. So I talked to these kids and they were great and they were brilliant. But they were like, what's your advice? And my advice is drop out of this program. (laughs) This is far too specific a thing for you to be studying in college. Like, in my experience, I just, I got so, so much out of studying, like, really broad-based things. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just without knowing how I was going to apply it. And, and I think there's something that you're actually taking away from people when you're trying to teach them a specific trade at that point in your life when, when you should be throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall. It's sort of the idea of uh, um, my, dad's, my dad is an electrician. Yeah. And so he's union, electrician. He was a journeyman. He went, like, that's what he learned to do. How to pull wire and put wire together. It's a very specific thing. He yeah. didn't learn. Maybe he learned a little bit of yeah. architecture. I don't think he did. Yeah. But he learned how to wire a fucking house. And that's what he did. Right. And so in that way, we're not... But you're, But it's the idea of the liberal arts. Isn't that what liberal arts is? Like the idea of throwing all this stuff at you. Right, right. Right. That is so fucking specific. And even at the time, though, you, you almost have to battle kids' instincts. Because even at the time, as an ambitious kid, I was eager to do specific job-related things. And I remember my acting teacher, Ann Woodworth at Northwestern, like, we got in a fight one. Because I, I got a job. I got a tiny part in a movie that I wanted to miss class to go do. And, and I thought she would be thrilled for me. And instead, she was like, no, 
you don't have my permission to miss the class. And we got in this big fight. Isn't this what I'm studying to do? And she's like, this is more important. And certainly those two days of Strindberg didn't seem more important at the time. But yeah, I understand how the overall devotion to what you're learning is more important than those two days of a random do you think I, I don't understand yeah. why she didn't I still don't understand why she didn't want you to do that yeah it's strange she she just felt that she wanted her students to commit to this time being about being sort of sacred and being about like learning what we're learning and it doesn't it's not necessarily about instant gratification and it's something that you're going to apply in all kinds of ways later and I mean years later I feel like I see your point I it seems to me also that there'd be a slippery slope because if you let one person do that, suddenly more people are going to want to do that. And, and whatever it is that you have that is the ensemble that is the class right. at that moment, um, it's, it starts to dilute because people's attention is being brought to other things. Yeah, maybe. But I also have to say that the time that I spent on set, you know, because I didn't, I, I have a degree in photojournalism. That's my degree. Oh, cool. Um, and I was a photojournalist for, for I worked for the Times, the Sun Times, the uh, uh, AP Tribune. I, I did that kind of shit for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I felt that all, so I didn't have, I didn't have a degree in theater. I just did theater from when I was eight until, you know, just for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And what I learned on set could not have been taught to me in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Like hitting your mark, um, patience, sure. sitting and watching, <laughs> watching somebody else do something, um, being part of, of a larger thing. Yeah. Uh, and that ensemble feeling, like I remember the first commercial I did in Chicago where I thought, oh my God, I'm learning so fucking much. I know I'm going to fuck up, uh, but yeah. the thing is that I'm here and how exciting it is to watch everybody just do their job, do right. their job. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I will say, you're right, it does blow your mind at first, but all those things, you learn it pretty quick. Wouldn't you say by the second commercial or the third, you're like, not to say that the bloom is off the rose, but you've you realized, oh, my, I know this now. You know what I mean? It, it ultimately is, that's what I'm saying, I guess it's worth waiting to learn, to not miss sort of your valuable growth right. sort of time. To, to to learn something that ultimately you will learn very quickly once you once you once you get into it. Got it. Got uh, it. I, I totally know. get it. No, that's true too. Yeah, that's true too. And and then there's the other part where you go, yeah, what what was that Strindberg thing that we worked right, on? Right. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Because for me, I feel like it's the same thing. Like a little bit of Strindberg goes along. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's yeah, like yeah. okay, what I what I learned of that. Yeah. And and I but I. I don't know if this happens to you, but I do know that when I'm directing, say that I'm directing a sketch show or directing something else, my photography brain kicks in just in terms of balance, sure. in terms of depth, in terms of tone, in terms of like all that stuff. Just it's so a part of me that yeah. I don't even realize like at that moment. I'm 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 creating a triangle with you know three elements in yeah. you know uh, or I'm creating a, a spiral just in the way that I'm setting that thing up and how that helps so much in ways that 
it, it, it defines it defines our point of view. That is mm-hmm. our being the director's point of view. Yeah, it, it the art the the one that's leading that. Mm-hmm. It defines our point of view, which also gives us style. Because really, right now, I'm thinking about a Mick show, a Mick Napier show is a Mick Napier show. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I said was wrong because a Mick Napier show is clearly like you can look at a show and go, that's a that's a Mick show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably even more so. I mean, a Martin Scorsese movie is a Martin Scorsese movie. You know what I mean? So I, I think especially in terms of filmmaking, there becomes sort of more recognizable signatures because the movement of the camera and the visual approach is a big part of it and also the choice of material, the things you're drawn to, the stories that you want to tell. Right. You know? Um, so... Yeah, I've kind of, I've learned, that's a big thing, is like choosing the thing. Choosing the project. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because right. I've i learned, after my <clears throat> first movie, I realized that... Was um, that Arthur? Arthur, Arthur. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, to do your first film as a giant studio movie is like a, is a, it was a, turns out a difficult undertaking to understand. <laughs> mm. it, it wasn't, I was ready to make the movie, but I wasn't ready to handle the studio politics and all the other things that went around it. That, that, that was the part that, the, that I had no frame of reference for, you know. Um, and the only way to really know that is to do that. Yeah. Right. You, what, did anybody tell you before that? Sure, and I read lots of... There's a great book called uh, My First Time where the filmmakers talk about their first films. Uh-huh. So, like, I read that book and I, I... You know, there's... Lots of people give you advice, but you you sort of can't... There's There's... Each experience is unique, incredibly unique, and you don't know what those challenges are going to be, and in some ways there's just no way to prepare you. No, there's no you way know? to pre- it's This is your experience. This yeah. is your experience. Yeah, yeah, So a book right. like that is really interesting anecdotally. Right. And it's like, oh, that's a good story. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I'm not going to look back and go, ah, I don't want to make that mistake that, yeah. you know, uh, uh, a cocktail made. I'm yeah, not gonna yeah, do yeah. that, you know, yeah. uh, because you don't think that way. Right. This is your life, and you're probably sitting there going, "Well, no, I'm not gonna make that mistake." <laughs> and then you make you. And I think this is what ends up happening is we create new mistakes. That's correct. Yeah. That sure. nobody that is unique to you. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you one with that that affected the process tremendously, <clears throat> which was. Okay, so Russell Brand is the best on-camera improviser I've ever seen, ever. The guy is brilliant. You also worked with, uh, with Robin Williams, too. Yeah. So, you, look at that. The truth is, though, it, when I say that, I worked with Robin very late in his career when he was already struggling. Gotcha. And I look back on it and realize there was a whole lot going on there that we were trying to explain at the time that nobody was sort of telling Explain to who? To ourselves, Got really, it. the creative team behind the show, mm-hmm. trying to figure out why Robin wasn't quite Robin, right? You know, and he he was struggling with you know oh several several diseases attacking him at once, Absolutely. and it, the, his his management team, him, nobody shared that with the producers of the. So we were trying our best to help him and to figure out what was going on just through the execution of the show. I'm not saying we were like reaching out in any kind of personal way. But, you had um, a job to do, and, yeah. and you were dealing with with yeah. what you needed to deal with at 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 that at that at that place. Right, that's right. Um, so getting back, but backing to up to Russell. Russell. Okay, so incredible on camera improviser. I mean, absolutely genius. The stuff that he can invent fluidly out of whole cloth 
Uh, and 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 generous too. When I say that, it's not like he's a steamroller over other people. I mean, he is absolutely incredible. But he's not as comfortable with the scripted material. In other words, he he kind of needs it to come through him to have that extra magic. Um, so we needed a co-star opposite him who had the same tools. You know, and there were huge actresses that wanted to do the female lead, but we couldn't cast them based on an offer because there's no way of knowing whether Scarlett Johansson would look at him on day one and go, uh, what's going on? You know what I mean? And we couldn't put ourselves in that position, so we, we were restricted to the actresses who would read for it because I just couldn't take the chance that we would end up in a situation with an actress who maybe in a meeting claimed to have those tools but really couldn't play tennis with him. Right. So and that's a really good analogy, the uh, the tennis analogy, yeah. because it really is a volley. Yeah. It's clearly a volley. And yeah. when, you, when you're watching two people improvise, what you yeah. want to see is you want to see the volley. Yeah. You want to see them return it. It's the idea of, uh, I, wanna, I want that to be a race where I don't give a shit who wins. It just, it has to be neck and neck. Right. Do go on. So we <clears throat> uh, auditioned and fell in love with Greta Gerwig for mm -hmm. the role. Greta, indie darling, a writer, brilliant, uh, just blew Russell away. The only one who could hang with him, really, intellectually, and play that tennis. And they were terrific together. Russell fell in love with her, I fell in love with her for the part, and the studio, not so much. We went to war and won the battle to cast Greta but ultimately lost the war. And this is what I couldn't have known in making a studio movie. Because we, we fought so hard to get her the part, but they never quite believed in her. They tried to get rid of her several times throughout the process. Of course, she ended up being the best reviewed part of the film, but right. that, that was far after they had excluded her from the marketing campaign. They didn't put her in any nope. of the posters. Nope. So because she's not on the, the story is about the two of them. So when she's not on the poster, people go, <laughs> What is this about? Right. Well, and then you see the image of, 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 of Russell and Helen Mirren together, and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Is it a romantic thing? What is it? People didn't understand. And even though it's a remake, you're, you're, the marketing is really for a generation of people that have no awareness of it being a remake. Absolutely. And they just didn't know what it was about. Right. There's no dynamic. In the marketing. In the marketing, and, to me. Yeah, yeah. There's no dynamic. And yeah. it's very interesting also because that dynamic is just so fucking important mm -hmm. because you look at Helen Mirren and you go, oh, that's Helen Mirren. Oh, she's playing the John Gielgud mm -hmm. part. You know, that's mm -hmm. right, John Gielgud. Right? So, but I want, and this, this goes back to the idea of the horse race. Yeah. The horse race. Yeah. That dynamic at the center of everything that we do and anything that I'm drawn to at the center of all that is I need for that dynamic to be there. Yeah. I need for something to push up against something else. And and in in the marketing when I'm watching the the trailers for for these movies I'm going, "Oh, they're giving a lot away, but what they're really showing me is the dynamic between the two actors that's going to draw me in yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. Ma to make me watch." Sure, that. sure, sure. Um and that idea of, oh boy, oh boy. So in not, in, in sort of hiding her inside the marketing because they weren't huge fans, they didn't really tell the story. It was a very strange, strange thing. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean that was just one of a million things. Oh, absolutely. I, but but uh, but I learned so much from it, and I was sort of re- I just made a small movie, and I was in some ways it was a chance for me to do everything that I didn't do right and uh, and to rectify a lot of the mistakes I made right you know right. so you talk of circling back to the beginning of our conversation you talk about do it better right well so so this <laughs> is better. it's on my mind it's on my mind because this is, I'll leave here and go to edit that project that's where I'm going next uh-huh. and and um, doing it better and doing it differently um, you know the Russo brothers uh, have been big um, mentors to me, and and they talked about it because they made a movie, you know, out of they had TV success, and then they made a movie that didn't do well, You, Me, and Dupree, and they they talked to me about that and talked about how like we have to get out of our TV brains, which you know we talk about having a photographic background, you know, but TV has especially episodic TV, you just learn to cover it. You learn to do a two shot and then over and over and move on to the next thing. But when you're making a movie, every scene needs to be special. You have to find a, a way to make each thing sparkle, not just tell the story. And I, I don't think I did that the first time. I think I wasn't fully out of my TV brain, mm-hmm. you know, and, and <clears throat> this time I got a chance to do that and really push it. And I mm-hmm. loved it. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I, I, so how do you pick? A, you pick the DP? Well, that was another mistake that I feel I rectified. You know, it, it, when I was making that big studio movie, they, uh, let me just say yeah. one thing about the deep, yeah. because when I saw that you had yeah. a, a, a background in photography, yeah, yeah, I always go, "Ooh, who do you pick to right. Who do you pick to photograph your to, yeah, to shoot yeah, yeah. your piece? Because that's so vital." To me. Well, yeah, it's my <clears throat> it's my longtime um, collaborator and friend David Jones who shot my very first short film. He just shot this movie with me in in New York with with Martin Freeman uh-huh. that that um, is uh, really special to me and hiring him was one of the things I did wrong. Uh, not hiring him was one of the things I did wrong on Arthur because mm-hmm. he's my he's who I I came up with. He right. we sh- first short film we've done a million TV projects together. He know he's just in my head. He speaks your language. Yes, and, yes. and I love the idea of. Of of you re- turning around and reaching your hand out, and somebody being already there handing you what it is that they think that you need. That's right. That's right. Well, sometimes I'll block a scene, and I, you know, without even speaking in full sentences, I'll be like, "We're here, we're here," and then we'll do this and this. And right. he knows exactly what. And then I walk away, and when I come back, he's got set up l- l- what was in my brain for the first, you know, composition. Absolutely. And and he you know, it's it's a special it's a special relationship and we found him actually we put an ad in a newspaper <laughs> for a DP for the first short film in 2004. It's awesome. Yeah. And that, and we we saw got like 100 reels right. and went through them all. This is me and my buddy Hayes MacArthur I was making this short film with and we we went through them and his stood out. He, he was the best by far. Uh, we met him. He's very soft-spoken. It was a terrible interview, but we hired him anyway. Got it. And he's been my DP ever since. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And, and, and the idea of uh, not just the ensemble that's in front of the camera, but the ensemble that's behind the camera, too. And uh, that, that just being intuitive, being intuitive. To look at somebody and go, I love this, where I'll watch something and I'll have an assistant and I'll go, I... 
I won't even say what I need, and I go, I, and they go, I got this one. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm on it. Right. I'm on it. Like, oh, thank you for being on it. Yeah. You're on it. Yeah. Because that's what we're looking for. Yeah. You want those collaborators that are, you know, in the, uh, that's the other thing about this movie. It was... It was lower budget. It was a, there's a sense that you're in it this all together. Movie this last like, movie. The one that you're cutting it, now. It, it's <clears throat> currently titled Ode to Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. Uh, Great title. It, oh, good. I'm it's glad really, you think it's so. It's a really good title. Okay, good. Who do, Ode to Joy. Yeah. Beautiful title. Yeah. It's Beethoven. Based, yeah. It's based on a This American Life piece. Mm-hmm. They're, they're producers on it as well. Um, it's uh, it's a piece about uh, a disorder, a disease called cataplexy, which is uh, a lot like narcolepsy, except it's triggered by extreme emotions. So if you have cataplexy and you experience fear, embarrassment, but most notably joy, you pass out. So this is a this is a movie about a man with this disorder, played by Martin Freeman who has created a very even life for himself where he never experiences emotions too high, too low. He's a librarian in Brooklyn. And into his life comes this very emotional, passionate, dynamic woman played by Morena Baccarin. And uh, that's, that's, that's the basics. To control your emotion in that way, what an amazing, like the idea of human spirit goes, how do I not? Right. How, how do I contain all of these that's things? That's right, that's right. And that's dynamic. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's also the perfect story. Like we're all looking for some, we're looking for, it's, it's a comedy? It's a comedy with a lot of dramatic elements. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's funny, but it's, it's, a, it's a funny drama. Right. It's a funny drama. Uh, yeah. It's a funny drama. I yeah. would rather that than putting those two words together. It's yeah. a funny drama. Yeah. It's a funny drama. What was I just thinking about? Uh, something that I just saw, which is a funny drama, where it's like, uh, oh, and then there's also these things where it's like uh, Nurse Jackie, when that was on, it's like, I, I didn't find that funny. Right. I didn't find Nurse Jackie funny. Well, it's a half hour. It's not It's not necessarily a comedy. But, that, it, but that's it, like it a fell into that. Days. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a thing, and I'm going, I don't... I don't know. It's not important to me what you would call it mm-hmm. because I don't go. I, I, if 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 it pulls me, it doesn't matter what you classify it as. That's right. I'm going to be pulled into it. But whenever I heard it was funny, it, that it, that it landed in the Emmy category of comedy, right? Right. Um, I looked at it and went, oh. I guess I'm not getting more of the laughs are, and then I felt bad about myself. <laughs> I'm enjoying it in that way, but it's a half hour. You've stuck pretty much with network stuff. Yeah, that's almost uh, that's that's because of the deal that I've had. That's Got sort it. of like where I where my first thing landed, and then you know then I've been at 20th Century Fox under a deal there almost ever since. I'm like an old fashioned contract director uh-huh. in a way, right. and they and producer and they want me. You know, that's their priority for me, is uh-huh. developing TV, TV for broadcast. TV, broadcast TV. Yeah. Um, do you find the poll, do you find, do you, well, you might be getting your rocks off from doing the movies, but there's also something about, what do they call it, Netflix, what did Netflix and Amazon, what would you even call that? Uh, well, streaming. Based? Streaming. Yeah. So, do, do you feel the pull of streaming? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that and cable, but in general, just doing the, getting to do this film outside of the 
the boundaries of what is required for network television because it really is a very specific thing especially network tv comedy mm -hmm. i feel like it is its own genre it can't accommodate other genres you say oh i'm gonna do a half hour comedy for network tv that's also a mystery forget it it, it's, it can't, it is its own genre. And right. it, that's driven somewhat by the, the practical realities of making 22 or 24 episodes it, a year. It, it's based on a fiduciary. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, getting to spread my wings outside of that was just, I mean, just a revelation, honestly. It was really, really awesome. What an awesome thing to just be able to get to, like those ideas of revelation are shattering where you go, yeah. this, is what I'm, this is what I've been used to. Yeah. And you end up, fitting that box and then yeah. you forget that you don't have to live in that box. Yeah. I don't need to live in that box. Um, I think about the, the show Pushing Daisies. Yeah. Sure, that was wild. That was wild. But you talk about a show that can't exist. It, 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 it was too big a swing for something that you need to do 22 uh, And that's times exactly what I was saying. When you said that, yeah. half an hour, hour. It was an hour. It was an hour. But it's still yeah. network. Yeah. CBS? Um, ABC. It was ABC. Yeah. ABC. ABC. Yeah. So you go, okay, ABC is not CBS. Yeah. It's ABC. Right. Uh, it's not Murder, She Wrote. But a lot of people are going, I don't understand what's happening yeah. here. Because it doesn't fit the genre. And they go, oh, this is not my ABC. Right, right, right. I don't even know that people, do people even have allegiances to networks? Well, I'll tell you something funny I heard. Uh, a good friend of mine is on the show Scandal, right? And mm -hmm. she was telling me that they did like a... a um, like a study, they asked the viewers, like, you're, oh, you're a big Scandal fan. What network is Scandal on? The number one answer was Netflix. The number two answer was Hulu. The number three answer was NBC. And the number four answer was ABC. That's the correct answer. It was the number four answer amongst fans of the show. Very interesting. The proof being that there is no allegiance to the so-called brands of these various networks, even though the, the networks themselves f feel a need to adhere to this notion that they have a brand. And, but it's very interesting because a CBS sitcom is a very CBS sitcom. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And you go, who's in charge of, of that thought? Right. Uh... But I go, oh, mate, I think a Netflix show or an Amazon show is uniquely an Amazon show. Would it be? Is that fair enough to say? I well, don't I don't know. I, I think with I think there are less, especially Netflix. Netflix is sort of going out its out of its way to say we're everything. They want to be they want to be dominant across every genre. Oh, it's crazy! It's crazy! Man. It's crazy! Yeah. the world is crazy, and and in 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 what you're doing. It's got to be so fucking exciting. Like the yeah. world of possibilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the funding sources that you get and the way that... But, and, and still pretty... It's still Wild West, right? Yeah. Like you don't... There, there, are, there aren't any... Nobody's landed on rules. Right. Everybody right. has their own way of doing it. Right. And for Netflix to go, we're going to be everything. It's like, mm -hmm. well, let's go, let's go, I don't know, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for Amazon to have a television show, to yeah, have right. their Amazon empire, right. and now to have a supermarket, yeah. like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> well, what's crazy about that is it's, I mean, listen, I don't know, we, we're going to get too deep into the business discussion. Of, it's uh, it's already inside baseball. Well, it's pretty inside. But the point is, 
Amazon's business model is about selling shipping. So they'll lose $10 million an episode on a show. They don't give a shit. It's, it, they don't have to make money. They, they, they're actually in it just to drive people to the service. Got it. So, they, so they're messing up the business for everybody else. And Netflix is too because they're willing to operate at a loss or at a very slim profit for a while until they dry, until they make everyone else miserable. Right. So because a network cannot, a network must, it must exist at some degree of profitability or, I mean, NBC loses a tremendous amount every year, but that's neither here nor there. It's not that much compared to what Amazon and, and Netflix are willing to lose. Right. Right. You know, as an example, David Fincher got a $200 million budget for the first two seasons of House of Cards. Mm -hmm. He spent it all on the first season. Oh. And then they just were like, oh, well, right. we'll make more. Right. And they did. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. I can't watch that show. I just like there's so much going on in the news now that I look at that and I go I can't take it. Oh yeah, now it's crossed it. over. Yeah, it's it, crossed over. It, it was it was really fun at first, but it's not fun anymore. No, it's not fun anymore. And they've done a good job. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. what's going outside of the tube? What's going on outside of the tube is just fucking everybody right, up. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple shows like that. Yeah. Where I go, I know I can't. I can't fucking do it. I can't. It, it's just too much. Right. And I'm not, I'm not gonna. I haven't watched a frame of it, but that's how I feel about Handmaid's Tale. Right, <laughs> right. Well, I've, I've, I was looking at, you know, it's like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with, I can't deal with the news. I can deal with the news, but I just get so upset and I get so fucking into it. And it's like, I need to read a book. And like, I picked up Handmaid's Tale and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Right, 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 I right. got the first four pages and I'm like, oh, uh -uh, no, 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 no. So we live in our little fantasy worlds that we go, okay, I need, and it's the same thing with Ode to Joy, mm -hmm. that idea of I'm not going to do anything that's going to, to uh, upset the the cart I'm mm -hmm. you know I'm going to live my life and I'm going to keep those things at bay and those things get in oh it's a tough time yeah and what's it like to like have a like how do you because you're gonna have a kid yeah sure that's happening that's happening yeah and everything that's going on and what a world that child is going to be in and how you I know. you have to I would imagine, because I don't have kids, you just have to go, We're gonna, I'm going to do the best job that I can fucking do. Yeah. Yeah. And hope that the world changes for the better at some point in the next couple of years. Right. That we don't keep going down this road we're on. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I when I think about that and I think about what my child is going to be born into, it gets really depressing. So we need these distractions. But it's yeah, yeah. We really need, and the idea of, of you giving birth and going, this is my child and it doesn't matter what's going on the outside in this world. I'm looking at this baby and I'm smelling this child and that it came out of that person that I love so much and to hold on to all these things, like that's how joyful that is and yeah. how fucking exciting that is. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and how does your, how does your, the moment that you knew that y'all were pregnant, mm -hmm. what happened to, what happened to the way that you looked at the industry? What happened to the way that you... I, you know, listen, I, I'm not sure I have anything revolutionary to say except that it put, it put, it put everything in perspective. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm beginning to shift 
you know, I don't think it's an accident that I pushed forward to make this passion project at this time when we're also pregnant. It was a big, it was a big risk. We barely got it done. We had to fight and scrape. You're talking it about was the movie, not the, the movie. Child. That it was. A, yeah, I guess my point is, my point is, I feel that it's like doing things that I really care about becomes more important than the job part of it. Which is funny because you should think that, well, now I have a child that I'm going to have to support and be responsible for in a way that would put an emphasis on the job part of it. Right. But it is actually the other way around. It's like, now it's, it's, I, weirdly, I'm less concerned about the making a living part and more concerned about, like, well, I have to do something that's meaningful to put something into the world that, that means something, you know? Right. I don't know. No, that totally makes sense. And what also is interesting is uh, the idea of you will work. You're going to work. Right. You've always worked. Right. It's not that you're not going to work. Right. And you've always been able to support yourself. Right. It's not like you're not suddenly not, you're, you're going to become somebody different. Right. And I think it's really important for those people who who have, who go, well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to make this change in my life because... Uh, financially, it uh, it may affect me. And at the end of the at the end of the day, y- you've always made a living. Right. You're gonna make a living. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna have the money. Right. You're gonna pay the rent. You're gonna be able to pay the rent. You're gonna be able to pay the mortgage. You're gonna be able to pay the insurance. You're gonna be able to do that. You know why? Because you have. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that very often because they go, "What if?" And I'm like, "That fucking what ifism is just bullshit." Right. And so, what you're doing, and the idea of all all three the the, the, the three legged stool that you that you described uh, of of your inspiration, like it's amazing. The world will fucking take care of you, mm-hmm. and you got to set it up. You're creating your you're creating your own business because essentially you are creating your own yeah. business. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting when I went to see uh, Colbert. You know, I visited him at the when he was doing the Colbert Report, and to walk into this. Were you ever at the building where they filmed that? I wasn't. No. Okay, so. It's a beehive. I mean, it's right. just a beehive. It's just one factory where everybody's wearing Colbert Report. They're just little bees, worker bees. <laughs> and, and it's just an amazing where I look at him and go, you are a fucking corporation. Right. You are a corporation. Uh-huh. And the pressure of that corporation, uh-huh. of being a corporation, you can either worry about it right. or you can just go, I get to live my life because I've always been taken care of. I've always... And, and it was just... It was revelatory for me to yeah. watch him, to see that, yeah, to see that business, right? Because you're also a corporation, well, sort of, but yeah, not not quite on that scale. Not quite, no, clearly not sure. quite on that scale. <laughs> not quite on that scale. Uh, and and Carell's another one where you go, uh, where he he has, you know, he's he's the shows that he's doing and the projects that he's on, is right? Just, that they're just they're so beautiful. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. And he is just doing what he's always wanted to do and yeah. always knew that he wanted to do. Right. And never doubted it. Right. And this idea of the parents going, why, are you te- why aren't you teaching? My child needs to do this. Right, right, go, right. You're, That's just the opposite. It's the opposite. Right. Let him go where he's going to go. Yeah. Let the water. It's fluid. Yeah. We think that it's a solid, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's a liquid. Yeah. Inspiration is a liquid. Our lives are liquid. When I was like <clears throat> 10 years old, my grandmother gave me this Robert Altman biography for my birthday. 
And I was like, what the fuck is oh this? Oh my God. I was so, so disappointed in the gift. I was like, <laughs> I'm never going to read this. Who is this? Why, why do I care? And now it's like one of my most prized possessions because it like represents this idea that she saw something in me at that time that I was totally unaware of myself. And the idea specifically that it was Altman, a director that combines comedy and drama and uses improvisation, I mean, that's insane. That's an insane little piece of prediction to give me that book. It's crazy. It is crazy. And I was a ungrateful little shit about it. Well, it, it just, of course you were. <laughs> uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's also your grandmother is saying, um, essentially saying, um, I got this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she goes, I know what you want. I know what you need. I know what you need. You didn't even know that you needed it. Right, you didn't even right. know that you wanted it. You didn't even yeah. know that you needed it. But yeah. they're a fucking step ahead of yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. to go, that's it. And that's it. And to just, and, and to relax into that, like the idea of, again, you will be taken care of. You're going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And all these fucking worries about what's going to happen or what am I supposed to do or where am I supposed to go or, like, your answers are going to be given to you yeah. when you need them to be given to you. You're going, to ne- you're going to know what you need to know when you need to know what you need to know. Yeah. And how vital that is. Because you can go crazy, especially with what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. The thing that drives me the most crazy is, like, not having control. Like, there's a, there, you know, when there's people, when I, because I, every time I do it, I pour my heart into it. And so to have people who don't know the thing as well have control over it is, is really hard. And so, again, this is just another reason why doing this small movie, it was really mine. There were far, far fewer cooks in the kitchen. And that was just... Again, just an incredible breath of fresh air. How awesome. Yeah. How awesome that is. The idea of... I'm, I'm, I'm going this place. When, when you're... Because of the photograph, the, the background in photography, the love of photography, all that stuff. Do you, do you have a connection with the editing then too? Right? Mm-hmm. So are you, are you directing... With the, I don't see. I don't know much about it. Are you directing with the idea of editing, as well? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you learn so much. You you don't really, you learn so much about directing when you're when you're, editing your your first. When thing. you are editing. Yeah. Well, I mean, in or, the editing or, room. Or or, or you're with, with a with a good with an, an editor. Yeah. Are there editors who become directors? Yes. Hmm. Who's an editor that was a, that became a director? Uh, my ex girlfriend Ryan Case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who was my editor on Modern Family uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, has since become a, a, an accomplished episodic director. But the idea of looking at things from getting back to the editing thing, looking at things from that, I also heard that um, Meryl Streep will deliver her lines of dialogue, indicating so that the editor knows that she wants an edit there. <laughs> and that it could be apocryphal, but it sounds, yeah. like, it sounds like something that would happen. I, you know, I don't know. It, it's more like... It's more like understanding... Having a, a strategy for how you plan to cut a scene really affects how you, how you direct it. And, I, I, and also, you know, the big, here, the big thing I learned in 
the the transforming my first short film, which got remade into a big budget pilot for television, was the effectiveness of of the way the way that having two actors together in the same frame without editing conveys chemistry. Because what ended up happening is we had no money. We made the short film for I mean no money, and we used our savings and stuff. It was like about fifteen thousand dollars was the production budget, and then it got remade. Uh, into a $3 million television pilot. The short film that cost $15,000 was 21 minutes long. No, I'm sorry, it was 18 minutes long. And the, the $3 million version was 21 minutes long. At the end of the day, it didn't get picked up because the feedback was that the short film was better. Wow. And one of the big things they talked about was chemistry. There was such a feeling of chemistry in the short film, and there wasn't in the pilot. And I, it was the same actors. And so I analyzed that. Now, the, real, the difference is, with the bigger budget, it enabled you to have the time to shoot coverage of Got every it. single person. Got it. Single, 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 single. And when you cut things up like that, you don't sense that extra magic, that extra special magic. And there's a desire on this part of the studio and the part of executives and even the part of producers to have control over the ability to edit and put the very best pieces together. But there's a, there's a sense of diminishing returns. You put all the pieces together, sure, you may have gotten the most perfect thing, but you've, you've cut out the magic. The so, humanity. So what I try and do, and I've sort of taken that lesson forward in everything I've done since, which is, you try, even when I'm shooting a pilot, I will purposefully choose some moments that I'm just gonna let play and that I'm not gonna shoot coverage for. And they're gonna yell and scream at me in, in post. And they're gonna say, what do you mean you can't cut away from that? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, didn't oh get my it, God, didn't shoot that's anything. So funny. And I, I, I do that every time. And I'm judicious about it, you uh -huh. know? Because um, I'm also aware that you also have to give yourself a lot of cutting options to get down to 21 minutes and 30 seconds. Absolutely. But, but that's an important part of it. And, Going into this this feature, which I keep talking about because I'm just coming out of the experience and it was so exciting. So I was back to my roots. You know, we shot an entire feature film in 18 days mm -hmm. in and around New York City, which is a huge challenge and requires figuring out how to shoot things in long long takes and to let things play. And and there's a magic in that. Oh God, I totally understand that. I love that. Let things play. Mm -hmm. Let things play because I'm watching this. I'm watching something, a big thing in my teaching these days is the product of improvisation is the process of improvising. That's why we go to watch an improv mm -hmm. show, is to watch these two people be at it at each other. Mm -hmm. So that means that when we're improvising, we get to sit here and fucking stew in our own juices. Mm -hmm. And so I want that long take. I want I want us to to be human. I want to watch two people be fucking human. Mm -hmm. And it draws people in. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a feeling where it, it, I I want to see you unfold. Mm -hmm. I want to see these fucking two characters unfold. And if we cut away too much or if a scene gets cut off because for whatever fucking reason somebody's going to cut it off, we're not being human in that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, you stumbled on a phrase just now, which is like, I th what'd you say, the process is the product? The process of improv is, uh, is the product of improv. Yeah, well, I think about that all the time in the stuff that I do. The process is the product. Like, my favorite part about the whole process, the whole, 
the whole process of Modern Family was this magic time between doing the pilot and the series where we figured out how to do it every week. Right. And that's like, and there was a a lot that was new about what we figured out. Right. You know, nobody that, had done that before. At really. that time on right. network TV, they hadn't figured out how to create a budget that would allow you to shoot out in the world more than one day a week. Uh -huh. Network single camera comedy had what they call a pattern budget, which meant four days in on your set and then you could shoot locations one day. That's what you could afford. And um, we were like, this is supposed to be a mockumentary. Right. But there's, that's not gonna feel right. We need to be able to shoot an entire episode out in the world. And that, that, that meant figuring out like more efficient ways to do things. And we made deals with homeowners exactly in the proximity of the Fox lot so that we could go out and shoot on oh. Cam and Mitch's lawn and do a scene there. And it's literally right outside the gate of Fox. So you, we could do the, uh, we could shoot scenes in the studio and then walk outside. It was essentially an extension of, and figuring all that out, like how you do it, it had a big part in the overall success of the show. And, and it links to what I was just saying about the movie. Like we had 18 days. How are you gonna do it? How you do it determines what the thing is. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And, and figuring out the right process g leads to the successful product. Do you enjoy that process? Do That's you? my, it's like my favorite part. I fucking love it's it. It's a riddle. Right, Yeah. right. I love the idea of putting it together. I, yeah. What I do is I travel all over the world yeah. and I teach improv and I direct and I, uh, and, and I perform. And the joy is for me, what I really love is Somebody says they're interested in what, I, what I'm doing and can, can I come to China? And I go, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna figure out how the fuck to do this. And while I'm in China, can I also go to Japan mm. and work in Japan? Because I think that I can do both those things. So part of our creative process has to do with, like, it has nothing to do with what it is that we're doing, mm. has more to do with what's ancillary, what's on the outside of that. And then the moment that that happens, it, it fucking, it changes the way that I think about things, mm -hmm. and the way I think about like the world of possibilities and what 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 can I do and what what because I don't think of what I can't do. I think about what I can do. Sure. And what you did there again was going. Why is it that this hasn't worked in the past? Mm -hmm. And how do I make it so that it works for me? I don't care that it needs to work for anybody else. Sure. But how do I make this work for me? I'm not solving anybody else's problem but my problem mm -hmm. problem challenge this is not a ch it's a challenge yeah and I jump all over that yeah crazy yeah <sighs> well let's stop there yeah I, that was really good thank you so much that was great the things that wear the most painful to give birth to somehow become the things that people pay attention to the most. Well, Jason, people can spot something heartfelt a mile away. Thank you. Jason's got a classic Not My Finest Hour coming up after these announcements. September 8th through the 10th, I'm back for a weekend workshop with the fine folks at A&D in NYC. October 6th through the 8th, I'm back in Auckland, New Zealand, New Zealand for a weekend intensive with espionage. October 13th through the 15th, I'll be in Christchurch, New Zealand. And November 10th and 11th, I'll be at White Pines Place in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly. And as always, I acting, my I acting classes, their acting classes. If you live somewhere, chances are I'll be teaching there. All workshop information at davidrozowski.com, ADDcom. ComedyWithDaveRozowski.com is produced by Laura Parker and me. Send questions and comments to Dave at ADDcomedy.com. Here's Jason Weiner's Not My Finest Hour.
And now, Jason Weiner's Not My Finest Hour. This was in my early days in Los Angeles. Um, I asked this girl out on a date and I felt like she was out of my league. So it was a big, it was a big swing to even ask her out. And we, we go, and this is, like I said, early days in LA, so not a lot of dough. We went to Barney's Beanery. <laughs> On Sunset. On Sunset, which is embarrassing now to admit that that's where you went on a date, but that's where we went. She she had a kind of a toughness about her that I was attracted to. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a big drinker, but she clearly was. Like, she orders a pitcher of beer for us. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm going to prove something. I'm going to go. I'm going to uh, drink for drink. I'm staying with her, you know? And I drove us, so I was super worried about getting home. <laughs> but I'm acting like I could pull it together. And as we pull into the the the, the um, driveway, um, it feels like there's a moment, because I've been, I've been keeping it together enough to play it cool, and there's like a kiss about to happen. But as I'm leaning in, like I start to get the spins and we start kissing but the the whole car is just rotating in the driveway and I am gonna puke so I but I I know that I have like five more minutes before I puke so I play it super cool and I'm like well this is me I should uh I should head in and I basically kicked her out of the car and sent her acted like it was like I'm I'm not super into it kind of moment but I just had to run inside and throw up um and I things were awkward after that there was no second date because like I had sort of rejected her right. in that moment right. it was bad right 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 yeah. right looking at that you go you can't get that back and you can't tell her what happened. Right, right. <laughs> that was it. I've seen her since, but I've never explained. I should. You should she, explain I think it. she's she's like a mother of two now. Uh-huh. I think. You know what? It'd be funny to her. I wonder if she would even remember. Yeah. I wonder if she would remember that. Yeah. Because that idea of, uh, the, the idea of why isn't there a second date? Right. Like that whole thing. Great. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome.